So, we just heard Jesus talking to the Pharisees and his disciples about divorce, or maybe marriage. And, you know, it's pretty hard to preach a sermon that's going to speak good news to every single one of you in this room tonight. (laughs) Because marriage and divorce are the focus of what Jesus has to say. And it's especially hard to preach when I and others in this room can't get married, and so aren't legally allowed to experience what Jesus is saying. It's hard to preach when there are people who have heard this text and stayed in abusive relationships for fear of going to hell. It's hard to preach this when there are broken marriages which have, at least tangentially, affected everyone here. I don't particularly want to preach about the beauty of marriage when people are content with being single for fear of alienating them. And there are some people who are in happy And beautiful marriages that just might tune out because this doesn't apply to them. And so, in fact, this story about divorce and marriage has just kind of taken on a life of its own. That we probably have forgotten what marriage really was like back in Jesus' time. First century marriage was not about white dresses and flower girls and the love of your life and happily ever after. That came to us much later through the likes of Leave it to Beaver and the Disney Corporation. (laughs) Marriage in first century Palestine was pretty much just a legal contract in which the families of the two young people being married gained the most benefit. It was helpful to marry off your children to avoid enemies and to have a lot of people who had your back when the enemies did come knocking. And the worst part is that after the marriage actually happened, the guy just owned the woman. Kind of like I own a printer. (laughs) And my printer, you see, I love it, but if it ever stopped spewing out its warm pages full of toner, I'd just get rid of it. (laughs) Marriage was that way as well. One, In fact, one rabbinic school of thought said that a man could divorce his wife if she so much as burnt the toast for breakfast. Imagine the state of the world if that were the norm. I'd guess that there would be very few people still married. And so after the burnt toast fiasco, the husband would simply dismiss the wife and she'd be out on the streets, alone, with absolutely no legal protection or the gathering place or the Dolores Project to help her find some dignity and a new life. Divorced women in the first century were sort of like first century children. They were often unwanted and generally subjected to isolation and vulnerability because of their status. And so, after hundreds of years of the church telling us what relationships should and shouldn't look like, and making judgments about the state of relationships, we've begun to read Jesus' words a bit differently. We tend to forget that Jesus is almost exclusively concerned with the well-being of the outcast in the Gospel of Mark. It's pretty clear to me that this is a morality story that we just heard, but not in the way that we like to think about it. The morals being shown might not be about marriage. Maybe they're about looking out for marginalized people. And women and children happen to be the primary object lessons in Jesus' day. So, with that, let's hearken back to Genesis for just a minute. And that sermon, too, has been used to hurt people. Especially those who identify as LGBTQ, since obviously God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You see, it's easy to want to focus on gender, 
because it ignores some pretty disturbing things that might not be that easy to talk about. The most disturbing of which is that somehow God divinely roofies Adam and cracks out his rib one night. (laughs) For a loving God, that's pretty violent. And I'd imagine Adam was in a lot of pain the next day, considering God had not yet created Vicodin. (laughs) And the truth about that story is that God cares so much about us. God cares that we have connection in life. It took a lot of work on God to find that right connection, because Adam kept not being interested in porcupines or sea lions or those fainting goats. But God kept trying... Because God knew that Adam needed a connection, a way to see and experience and love God through someone else. So God created a creature that was finally part of Adam. And so Adam and Eve, or whoever they really were, were connected to one another through their very being and connected to God through each other. And it was good. So back to Jesus. He understood how important connection was and how relationships were not only legally protective, but protected the fragile emotions that live within each of us and that those emotions are often dependent on other people. Jesus got it when he read the Genesis story. People were literally made from and for each other. We are a people that are made for connection and for relationship with others. And God's will for us is connection. God's will for us is relationship, whether that's romantic or platonic. Yet we do a pretty good job of screwing that up. We live in a culture obsessed with disposability and individualism. We're a people who abuse ourselves and others because we try to jump out of our role as creature and into the role of creator, which just doesn't work for us. You see, when we're busy disposing of relationships and running around on our own world with disregard for others, we don't recognize that we are all created by God, and God sees us all as good and as valuable and as relational. So things like thinking that a church should be a club instead of a place where all people are welcome and valued as a part of community... Climbing up the corporate ladder to get more, to be higher, and to ultimately reach the top of the Norman Rockwell version of the American dream without thinking of those that we leave in the dust. Or being self-righteous as an activist while alienating others who might have different opinions about the issues at hand. Those are things that are pretty commonplace and pretty far from God's will for creatures that were pulled from the ribs of each other. The hurt that we cause at the expense of others and at the expense of ourselves and our relationships puts people in the same state as first century divorced women and outcast children, vulnerable, scared, feeling isolated. And so Jesus calls us to remember that the kingdom of God is countercultural to his society as well as ours. Certainly the alienation of people looks and feels different and the same at the same time. But God's will for people has not changed. God lamented for broken relationships and children, and God laments for us when we find ourselves thrown out due to someone else's refusal to see our sameness to them as created and as good. And God also laments for those people that we throw out on the curb because we think that their, God has, that their God-given goodness is threatening to ours. Jesus' word to the Pharisees And to us, points us to the goodness of God, who created all things good and has a deep commitment for creation. 
Jesus' words point us to the truth that God is invested in our commitment to each other. Jesus' words point us to a new way of living, one that is deeply concerned for our neighbor and one that recognizes that we too are neighbors of someone. We too are in need of concern and of love. So maybe instead of a lesson that's just cut and dried about marriage, Jesus is calling us to a way of seeing the world differently, in a way of interacting with people differently. We aren't perfect. We hurt people deeply when we break our relationships with them. We get hurt by those same people when they fracture relationships. I mean, walking through life is so often about avoiding the broken shards of glass left by our shattered relationships with others. And Jesus is telling us that God wants more from us. God wants us to see others as humans created from the same flesh and from the same bones. God wants more from us about relationships. And that's because God wants more for us. God's will for us is wholeness in our relationships, our friendships, our acquaintances, because we exist together as children of God, all created perfect and all created good. God wants more for us so badly that God's own son, Jesus, came to restore our relationship with God and with one another. God wants more for us because the kingdom of God is full of beauty, healthy, good connections, and we are the beginnings of that. Amen.